ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the overlap i'm uh trying to figure out this applesauce situation right before we started recording i told rian i'm eating applesauce like i'm 12 and then he promptly informed me that he had an uncrustable today so we're uh we're treating each other like kids i guess I, I don't really know what else there is to it so welcome back welcome back how was your uncrustable oh it was great i mean the best versions of them are when they're really either frozen or really really cold true yeah True. And, and like i got it as um because they're doing to-go drinks again in in new york but they still have to give like some sort of food mm. with you and uh they're giving the bar right near me at least is giving out uncrustables with the drinks <laughs> yeah it's like we're throwing it back to fifth grade basically when i first met rian fun fact yeah i mean it, it's also like filling enough too like it's I think that was like a thing that we used to have after a lot of soccer games, honestly. But I think as kids, we definitely did. I think, I think it definitely was yes, a thing. Not but like, now. <laughs> no, uh, okay. Obviously not now, but like, I'm trying to think like the number of orange slices to number one crustables, mm. what that ratio is. I really don't know. I think, I think it was probably more orange slices and like fruit. Probably. But yeah, uncrustables probably. were just, ah, uh, can't go wrong with one. Seriously. They're a great snack. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, the applesauce I got, fun fact. We're gonna we're just gonna spend the entire time talking about applesauce, but <laughs> the applesauce um, I got children's snacks. <laughs> <laughs> children's snacks that Rihanna and I reminisce about. Um applesauce from Trader Joe's. Don't know why. I I'm a big fan of that being a snack. And also dates. Mm. Dates are really mm. good snacks, but big fan of both. So interesting. Yeah, I've never been a know. big uh never been a big dates person, honestly. Yeah. Um wait, are they supposed to be kind of like prunes? A little, I mean, I think a little bit. Um, I don't know, like if they're in the same family. I guess they are. That's a good question. Like in the in the yeah, raisin, kind of look like yeah, <laughs> the the raisin, fruit. yeah, <laughs> the like vine, vinery fruits. Yeah, that's honestly <laughs> a good it's question. A grape, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Um, well, now I'm curious. Now, now, yeah, now I'm gonna think about it, but. <laughs> I completely digress from whenever we started this like three minutes ago. Um, you want to you want to talk about our lives? You want to talk about what's going on in the world of football? There's a lot still going on. A, a, okay, a date palm is a flowering oh <laughs> plant species in the palm family. I'm not even going to try to pronounce this because it looks like Greek or something like that. <laughs> um, but it starts with an A, era something, and. I'm not seeing grapes. It's just like a, it's just a fruit from a palm tree, which I guess grapes do not come from. So interesting. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I'm glad. Right. I'm glad you figured that out. Actually. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's more research <laughs> to be done. To be fair. Like. This yeah. Yeah. But but high level, it is not in the same family as grapes. Thank you. Thank you for that update. Or prunes. Yeah. Or prunes. <laughs> We're not going to cut this out. By the way, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> cutting this out of the edit. So you're hearing this on whatever plot platform that you're listening to, or you're seeing it on Spotify. This is just in the podcast. Um, what else has been up? What else has been up this week? Um, we, did we hang out last weekend? I think we did. I don't remember. Did we not? Champions League final was really <laughs> two weekends ago. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was two weekends are ago. Weirdly are, are really blending together. This Whoever's is, listening to the first like, six minutes of this. It just must have suffered through this. I apologize. Sense, but, um, yeah, I guess it's been it's been a, like a week and a half at this point. Um, Rian is going to be paying for my dinner at some point. Um, oh yeah. We, yeah, we still have to do that. Don't think that I was ever going to forget that. Not a shot, but <laughs> I'm very excited for that. Um, but we have more festivities to get to this weekend. Hopefully, I well, I'll definitely see Rian this weekend and. Uh, in the meantime, we we have a lot of other things going on. The one thing I did want to ask you, actually, before we talk about anything football related, uh, how is your knee? Can you give everybody an update oh, on yeah. your knee? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, good news is the, my doctor recommended that I do not do physical therapy. So oh. that's that's good. Like, I don't need it. 
pretty much yeah. is what he, he said <laughs> or he's just really. an absolutely outrageously poor doctor <laughs> no 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 this is a mount sinai doctor i i would hope <laughs> with the hospital bill that i paid that he's pretty <laughs> he's one of the better ones I hope. Um, but uh yeah so i just i just gotta let the bone heal pretty much rex rest and relaxation is it is literally all he said just rested as much as he can and then uh speak to him again next month to see how the healing's going and and yeah hopefully like i mean outside of that i don't think i'm gonna need physical i'm not gonna do physical therapy if i don't need it so it's uh it's just a wait and see kind of situation now yeah yeah but amazing yeah better news than than uh than i had probably a couple weeks ago so true yeah well i'm glad things are obviously better um brian can walk he can move i can confirm that because i've seen it with my own eyes uh he still looks like as barely limbic as as he ever did but um mm. you know that's that's not related to his knees that's just more of a brain <laughs> function so anyway oh um, wow <laughs> this is honestly the first yeah <laughs> the first 10 minutes of this has just been lost i i don't know where we default like we had a perfectly fine conversation before we started recording this and now like just anyway you want you want to talk about football like do you yeah, actually want to i think that's a good enough segue okay because we're starting to transition into that like lifestyle podcast that we always uh we always talked about but yeah we're not going to do that um at least let me at least share that we'll be talking mainly about international football the international tournaments that are going on upcoming as well and some of the biggest transfer updates and transfer news that have come out of europe over the last two weeks so rian i'm going to kick things off and almost go in sequential order but the nation's league will be the exception to that because it's kind of still ongoing but let's start with the copa america winners against the euro 2020 like in quotes <laughs> winners italy versus argentina at wembley um finalisma for those who don't know which is really interesting um people kind of view this as just like a friendly which in a lot of ways it, it is but yeah, it's, this it's is the first time it happened in a little while, right? It's, it's I, the first time it's happened in a while, in a while. And yeah. it wasn't like, I feel like some people really just thought that this competition like hadn't ever happened before. Like, I feel like a lot of people were just like, oh, this is some new tournament UEFA just created. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I, like just on a whim. The last time it did happen was I believe 93. Uh, Argentina also won against Denmark, I believe um in in 93 so this has happened before and i think it happened once before that in 1985 where uh france won so it it is it, there's is some history behind it and yeah. it was and, actually and it, go for it oh no, no 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 i was just gonna say this is it's the european champion against the the copa america champion right exactly exactly it's it's the continental winners um from those two major major continents obviously and honestly I don't know if you got to watch the whole thing. I had a chance to watch a majority of it. It was, it was not a friendly, like that was a competitive <laughs> game. It was genuinely really, really fun to watch. And it did actually have like the feel of a final. Like obviously it didn't like in a grand scheme of things wasn't overly significant, but it, it was a very, very good match to watch. And at Wembley, a full Wembley stadium, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, that, that was, uh, you're right. It looked, I mean, the Argentina players were 100% up for it. Oh yeah. And this game was at this game was at Wembley in London as well and there were a lot of Argentina fans in the in the stadium as well. Like, I I didn't get to watch the match live, but the thing that I took away from it the most was that's probably the best Messi performance we've seen in like I don't know, maybe 7 or 7 to 8 months maybe. <laughs> like probably. I, maybe yeah. maybe like since he joined PSG potentially. It did. It did confirm one thing for me um, that he's getting paid an absolute bag for a side hustle at this point. Like PSG is his side hustle. It's funny because I don't totally disagree with that. But <laughs> it is someone on some podcast I was listening to made a pretty good point in the sense of Messi moved to PSG like a complete surprise to him it was not just a surprise to all of us it was a complete surprise to him too that he was leaving barcelona really quick change of life 
which I'm sure is not easy for any normal human being to have to do within like what a, a week of thinking that you'd be at living in one place for the entire year to being told that you have to leave. Um, and then, and then he got, he got COVID in, what was it? The beginning of the year, December, something like that. Yeah. In that time. And, and then even he himself said that he's really suffered from it. I mean, this is, he's not the only player we've heard suffer from the long-term effects uh, of COVID in the last two years as well, too. Right. I think I'm thinking off the top of my head, Pogba, Havertz, both in the last two years went through pretty tough spells of, of COVID. So who knows? I mean, it was one of his worst, but maybe the worst season of his professional careers, maybe since he was like 18 or 19. <laughs> and, then, um, and, and, you know, how much of that is obviously he is getting older, but also like those other mitigating circumstances, like uh, it, it was probably a really tough season. And, and we don't really think about that. I mean, genuinely no. we don't think about that during the season because we think of because these players it as all robots. Goes out of the way. Yeah, I mean, literally, literally. So it, it, I'll just say, like, it's not – I'm happy to see that he looks like himself. But at the same – in the same time, it was like a, a messy performance that was very different from any of his other eras. Like, he – but he was still so in control of the game. Just, like, thinking about the assist to uh, Lautaro. Lautaro, uh, yeah. Goal. Whereas, like, Messi was just doing kind of the – like big, like really holding off a defender for the like entire run into the box. And he showed both the dribbling and then also just like the holding a player off, like in a more like, what do you expect like a bigger player to do? But it just like really kind of savvy in, in a way. So it was, uh, I, I hope we see more of, of this kind of different era of Messi, but, like, but still very, very, still very much better than everyone else. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at, at his best, which we kind of saw over the last two games with Argentina, he was out of this world. I mean, he scored five goals against Estonia. <laughs> I believe that is the only, only the second time that's ever happened for him. Obviously, the infamous game against Bayer Leverkusen being the other in the Champions League. But yeah, I mean, he's had he's had some pretty good games with Argentina over the last two years. They haven't lost in two years. They are a very good side. And going back to to the game against Italy, for example, outside of the first 20 minutes, like I didn't really think that Italy were in this game like at all. In fact, I thought they were completely overrun and I don't really know what to make of that. Like I, I, I think back to Mbappe's comments about two weeks ago about how South American teams, when they qualify for the World Cup, don't have to go through European teams. And then I see this kind of happen. I, I think maybe that's a bit of a, an unjust analogy between putting Italy in These that These players spot. are hilarious. Yeah. These players are hilarious with some of the stuff that they say. It, I mean, it makes no sense, right? But, like, genuinely, I felt like Argentina really just put their stamp in front of tens of thousands of people in the for, for the first time in a while and basically said, yeah, we're going to the World Cup with the, the intention of winning it like that that is the performance that they i feel like they put off and like simultaneously i was i was like very disappointed with italy and not that not that i was like surprised honestly but i was very disappointed like i did think that there would have been more of a fight that there would have been i don't know some sort of spark in this team but from basically the middle of the first half onward it felt like to them this was just like a friendly and it turned out into a route basically yeah and i wonder how much of it is um a combination of things for italy like one who as as i'm sure we'll probably speak a bit about with the nations league like these guys just played a lot of them played in what 40 or 50 games over the last nine months and it's june and you know usually at best they'd be trying to get themselves out for a world cup but this is not remotely a World Cup, especially for Italy, who are also in a different stage than Argentina, where like they're not pre preparing for a World Cup right now, too. So like these players that are coming in, it, I, I'm I'm not surprised they couldn't motivate themselves to the same way that I think Argentina's players did. Not taking anything away from how good Argentina was in the game, because I do think that team, it's got to be in in the whatever three or four. Um, contenders to win the World Cup later this later this year, 
Um, but yeah, it's a, it's 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 a very weird spot for Italy right now. They're in a very weird in between. They have to, uh, I think, in their nation leagues game, nation leagues games after the finalissima, they played a lot of uh, younger players because now they have to figure out like who are the next guys really. Like that's there's no point in um, I think trying to persist with with some of the older players here now because you're not going for world cups so yeah. it's like you have to figure out where where's what's the next generation of talent that's coming through yeah i think that's a good point um i think that's what italy italy are in this weird transition phase because they're not going to have a major tournament for what the next two years until euro 2024 so they have time to, to certainly figure it out but yeah it's not unfortunately going to be I don't know. I, I don't, I don't get the sense from this team. And, and again, I think, you know, my, um, my thoughts on Roberto Mancini. I, I don't think he is to blame for the way that they went out of the world cup. I do. However, think that this team needs a transition towards that younger generation. Chiellini, for example, leaving um, the national team is, is a step in that direction, whether it's right or wrong, you can have that opinion, but that is the direction that basically every major country is at the international level is, is moving towards. I think, I think of Spain as an example of that right now as well. Um, I think, it, I think there's more nuance to it for Italy, but I'll leave it at that. Yeah. But, but again, not to take anything away from Argentina, like this, this team is. Yeah. I, who, funnily I, enough, I'll, let me add this, who funnily enough yeah. are doing it with their quote unquote old guard. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a bit <laughs> of a mix though. Right. Like, you know, you, certainly. Um, I think that the, the leap, that Lautaro has made in the last two years is a huge help. Obviously, of course, having yeah. another attacker there that can, if, if not um, carry necessarily the load of like creating the chances and stuff, but at least another guy who seemingly is, is plays well with, with Messi. And, um, and then obviously you still have Di Maria who's still at his age. It's a, it's, it's unbelievable. One, he plays amazingly for Argentina. I feel like at <laughs> almost every game, um, but even even when you watch him in the Champions League, so like that guy's still that guy's still a top top player, and it's kind of crazy to think that he's been this consistent for so long. Um, but especially for Argentina, like he's still someone that can support Messi. He's always, I think, in the past, he's always been the guy who supports the most of any of the other Argentina attackers. So having him plus Lautaro, uh, and obviously. Like, Arrigo de Paul in midfield. And then I I think the addition of of having um Christian Romero, Kuti Romero. Yeah. The the leap. I mean he he's the aggressive that the aggressiveness that he plays with, and just, he's such a good defender. <laughs> like I, I don't I can't like speak better about him or more highly at least. Um I mean, he also gives you another option to play with or instead of Otamendi, but I think Otamendi will always start. But but in the least playing with Otamendi, at least there's someone there that, that really likes putting out fires, and that is what Kutubet Romero loves to do. He's so aggressive. He he did that very well, actually, in the first half in this in this game, uh, arguably against one of Italy's best chances. Um, and he seemingly just put a ball out for a corner that could have absolutely gone in. So, yeah, it is moments like that where you think, new players younger players with a bit more drive maybe versus players who've been to a couple of world cups a couple of continental uh competitions and uh have not unfortunately passed the test as uh as probably alexi lalas would say <laughs> of all people but um again i'm gonna leave that for another day Rian, I want to make sure that we get to the rest of the international news that's going on as well obviously argentina italy is one piece of it but we have this whole thing going on called uh, the Nations League, which is uh, basically Euros t- like t- light. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I really, uh, this is my big gripe with things like the Nations League. It's not that it's just one added tournament for the sake of tournaments. It's that it's one added tournament after brutal seasons, like continuously yeah. where neither player nor manager has come out and positively said anything about these tournaments. That's my biggest problem. It's like, and I hate to, to bring this up as an example, 
but it's like we learned nothing from what happened to Christian Erickson last summer. Like it feels like we learned nothing and it feels like there needs to be a heavy emphasis on player health. Like there's a reason why I believe it was uh, Louis van Gaal um, came out the other day and basically said, yeah, I'm rotating like 10 players a game because I don't want them to get ill. Like we can't train for more than an hour a day because no one physically can do that after the season. So that's the, that's the part of the nation's league that it just drives me nuts. And we can go through the results and like how teams are doing, but first and foremost, like it just irritates me. No, I think it just has a whole, it's like, it's uh, it's the, I love the concept of it, you know, during, and this is the kind of two different things. Like I love the concept of it, of making international games more, uh, or higher stakes to them, right? Uh, the issue with this is like again, like you said, the timing of it. I love it during the season because like a lot of those international breaks are previously were very boring because they were just friendlies and it was you know it was there was no stakes basically, right? Um, so during the season, love it. I love having the like Nations League as that as at least for Europe, like having it as a as an option and stuff, and and having those games mean more. Um. But like you said, we're in June. It's June right now. I mean, we've heard, as you said, players and managers come out, Kevin De Bruyne being one of the big ones from the player side who's just really want to get through these games. And what's absurd is that it's it's four games. They're playing four yeah. games. It's not – I think like in a normal year, and, and what was it, the last the last summer that it was, you know, non-COVID summer that it was they were available to do it, I think all they did was have like the the tournament, like the last four teams. Um, and it was just like two games at most each, right? Or something like right. So something like that. That was yeah. fine. I, I think like that, you do literally two international games in the summer, that's fine. Like and, and obviously those have high stakes, but these are four like what, league games, like group games in the Nations League. Um in, in the span of like crazy. eleven days. Yeah, yeah. An absurd time frame as well. Um and then, I mean, a lot of preseasons for these players start in about a, a month or so, like a month and a half, at maybe. But like, it, the the turnover time is not is not favorable at all. And like you said, the we're we're coming in. T- I I really feel like at some point we're gonna come to an impasse in terms of these players and and what is being asked of them season on season, um, especially with the new Champions League format that's gonna come out in what two years um where they're going to be playing like 10 group games pretty much and then and then knockouts like something absurd so i i, I agree with you it's, it's actually pretty concerning from the player's standpoint and then obviously we have this this abomination wonky abomination of a world cup that's going to come in november and we're all just going to kind of have to yeah we're just gonna like yeah. it's gonna be hard for us to not for us to to uh look away it's gonna be really hard for i know for the both of us and for a lot of other people especially because of the yeah. time of year that's happening you're talking about a holiday season world cup where you're probably gonna have more people at home than ever yeah so it, it's it's gonna be hard to look away and then yeah it's just it's hard to think about all this stuff at, at, at once too when you think about what's happening with the with the players themselves, but uh, I don't know. I don't have really any anything to talk much about the results in the game. I, I saw highlights of the England Germany game, and those players looked pretty knackered. <laughs> like, they were honest. all exhausted. Like the 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 whole thing was not the whole thing was lackluster, but there were about four or five major chances between both sides over the course of ninety minutes, and I think that tells you basically the course of this game. The one thing just outside of results that I'll I'll touch on really briefly is the one team that has kind of pleasantly surprised, not surprised me, but just pleasantly impressed me um, very slowly is actually in some ways, it's not, not the team that you really expect, but um, it's been the Netherlands. I, I think they've performed very well in the last couple of games. They thoroughly defeated Belgium 4-1 um, and they did it quite honestly in style and Beyond that, I believe they they went on to beat Wales yesterday. The time of recording is where today's Thursday for us. So, um, yes, they beat Wales yesterday. And that was, I believe, a last minute winner because uh, there were like two goals and out of time. But 
Um, the Netherlands have have properly been a quietly decent team over the last uh, couple of months. And I think I have to remember, I don't remember which group they're in at the World Cup, but I think there, there could be a shot for them to go somewhat far, TBD. We'll see. It, they were impressive in the Euros, honestly. I, I thought they were impressive in the sense of uh, expectations versus what what they actually accomplished. I thought they were better than I, than I expected them to be uh, last summer. And then obviously, I'm going to be honest, I don't remember why Frank DeBoer is not the coach anymore. <laughs> and 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 I like vaguely remember that Louis van Gaal became the coach uh, basically off of, off of his uh, quotes like last week. That was when I remember. <laughs> so Frank, Frank DeBoer is, is not the coach because they went on a losing streak that was just borderline senile. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I don't know if there's anywhere other, other way to put it. So I wasn't sure great. that's the, yeah, <laughs> but either way, definitely not the clinical way, but you know, yes, but um, yeah, look, they have a lot of really talented players like that. That's, that has not changed, even though, like, and we're going to talk about one of them. Um, we're going to talk about them later, but even though like a few of them, including Frankie Diog, have been played in positions that have not necessarily emphasize their strengths. <laughs> Every time they play on, on the national team, for the most part, they, they seem to be playing in their favorite positions. And boy, was Frankie pretty outspoken about that part of it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they, they a lot of them seem to play, go to their national team and play again in a like i said in a more uh well-suited role to them but yeah generally they look better with the national teams for a lot of them which is which is a weird one honestly yeah yeah you're not i think it could be applied as well to the to the u.s national team a good amount of the u.s national team players as well well maybe in some ways that's a good segue outside of world cup this other i guess we'll give a shout out to wales for making the world cup uh, as well yeah that was honestly yeah but that was honestly a tough one because i feel like everyone kind of wanted ukraine and also simultaneously like wanted gareth bale to be at a world cup like it was this because this is the first world cup that wales has been at in about 60 years 60 plus years something like that um and so honestly either way that this went there was going to be heartbreak and joy um, so that that piece of it was kind of tough and and to do it with the thinnest of margins off of a Gareth Bale free kick slash own goal. It was an old goal. It was just a it, it was, goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I, I mean, that deflection alone just kind of tells you just how thin the margins are in this sport. This Heroic silly, silly sport. <laughs> Heroic performance from Wade Hennessy, the goalkeeper yeah. on, on Yale's on Wales and um Ben Davies with the last ditch tackles everywhere. Yeah, they, yeah, it was it was really sad because Ukraine were just better than them. So it was that that's what really that's what really made me sad about it. Um, and they were much better than uh than Scotland in the, in the semifinal before it as well too. So oh yeah, yeah. It's doubt. uh, it was just another. It's always hilarious the times that you get to watch Ukraine and you see Zinchenko playing in center mid and. and and passing the ball extremely well and and like positioning himself in great spaces. And then he goes to city and he has no chance of playing in that position at all. It's, it's, it is absurd. That team, we don't have to talk about them, but it is absurd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is kind of insane. Um, but I at least wanted to give that shout out to Wales specifically. I'm very curious to see what they're going to do in the U S group. And I think that's probably the best segue to the U.S. men's national team um, and the most recent games from them. Um, they do play tomorrow against, I believe, Granada. Um, they do. Do, do you go by Grenada? Because I, I, I thought it was Granada. I thought it was Granada. I but Granada heard that it's actually – I've heard that it's pronounced Grenada. That's what I've heard, yeah. Yeah, which so, – which, which would which literally the reason why I didn't say it in the first place, I was like, it just sounds like grenade and then A. And like, that can't be right. That can't be the right way. That sounds like the most American way to say that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. 
That's so true. I well, I, I will say, I think we are all expecting the U.S. to win in that game. Knock on wood. But I want to talk about the first two games of kind of these CONCACAF nation league friendlies, uh, like at this point, all names have lost meaning to me, but <laughs> over the last two games, the U S have beaten Morocco three nil, a very strong performance. I think we can argue yeah. from, from the U S um, and then have went on to draw Uruguay in like a sleeper of a game basically. Yeah. So uh, Rian, invited me over to watch that game which i actually fun fact i forgot <laughs> i forgot i had jury duty the day after the game so i had to do all my like work the day before but <laughs> i'm so glad that i did not go over that game because it would have been such a waste of time so rian i want to get your thoughts on both games starting with the the morocco game what impressed you the most M- morocco game really quick like i think brent brendan aronson played in different position he played center mid for that game he was the third center mid but honestly the way that the U.S. played against Morocco they basically set up in possession like in a back three and it was like Reggie Cannon and Zimmerman and Aaron Long basically playing as the the back three when they had the ball and then Eunice and um and Tyler Adams played like a double pivot and, and Brendan Anderson was great in that game. I think I was the best that the attack has looked in a long time. Um, the goal, the first goal that touched by Pulisic, which is amazing, obviously. And then, and then the patience to, to wait for it to one, get the goalkeeper down and then also play that ball across to uh, Aronson was great. There's probably the best the attacks looked Um and outside of that, like in those two games too as well, man, I hope Yunus Musi gets a run at center mid, if not at Valencia, then somewhere else for this rest of the season because... Well, he he very well might get it at Valencia after the summer. Uh, I'll throw that in there. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious what their center mid situation is going to be next season because I I understood why he wasn't a consistent star at all like last season. Like they have... A, they have kind of a glut of central midfielders that they sometimes play as wingers <laughs> even. So it was, it was, uh, I understood that, but yeah, there it's, it's, I think he has such a high ceiling. It's, it's unbelievable. Like he, these were the two best teams that, that the U S have played in what three years, probably like, 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 as great as Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David are on, on and Tejan Buchanan as well on, on Canada, these two teams have like average talent, like in the, the average of their talent on the, on these teams are better than, than Canada. So like, these are the two best teams that the U S have played um, in probably three years, at least. So to see you to be able to, the way he's able to carry the ball and just, the strength that he has on the ball is, is, is so, so impressive. And he just progresses the ball. He literally carries it into the attack. He needs to, to, to get better at his final ball. I think, I, I think that's kind of like the, the last evolution for him is the pass, the final pass um, and knowing when to release it and whatnot. But it's also why I think he just needs to play as many minutes as possible at, at, at center mid next season to get better at that stuff. And, progress as a player potentially like in general couldn't agree more i i truly wouldn't change a thing that you said i think the one thing about um i guess the rest of the team uh that i'm surprised you didn't touch on was um timmy Weah. i mean oh my gosh what, yeah what like truly an outstanding goal um yeah coming off of i think you you and i could both probably argue that he didn't have his best season this year in France, uh, I think no. he scored. He what, finished the season well, I think. Five but goals. Yeah, yeah. I think he scored most of those in the last month or so. So exactly. Yeah, overall, the season was, yeah, not great. I do I guess my my question specifically about Timmy Way is, do you see him as a starter in the World Cup? I think so. It's the better question is where he plays. Um, I think certainly that, that as of right now, I think I think Greg Berhalter sees him as a starter. Um, I think that right now, if 
the U.S. plays the Wales first in the World Cup. I think if that game was tomorrow, we it would be way uh, probably Jesus Ferreira and and Christian Pulisic as the front three. Uh, and again, that's just today. I still think that if he's healthy, and this has kind of been a big if over the last year or so, and I'm talking about Gio Reyna, like if he's healthy, he is the best passer on the team. And I will always, I always have an opinion to just, you have to start the guy who's the best passer on the team. And he's pretty much the only player on the team that can create chances with his passing and has the best vision on the team. He's probably the best set piece taker on the team. Some of these pool six has been good in the last two games, but it's, it's hilarious that he keeps getting the corners every time because they're usually <laughs> terrible. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's, um, it's, I, I just, I can't see a world personally. I would be quite upset if we go into the first game of the world cup having a healthy Giorana who has played, you know, most of his games for Borussia Dortmund for the beginning of the season, going to that world cup. Um, if we have him not starting because, and I don't know where exactly, like that could be playing on the right wing, which I, I think is not the greatest place to put him, or it could be playing in the position that Brendan Harrison played um, against Morocco, where he's like in the center mids, but actually Anderson was playing pretty much like as a number 10 in that game. So, that that was that was a long-winded way of saying uh i think the team has a good chance of getting out of that group but they're gonna need as much quality on the pitch as possible and hopefully not play too cautiously in terms of the lineups i think it's fair i think it's totally fair well i think our hopes are very lukewarm to medium for this team come the world cup um i would give in the group just like very early unnecessary predictions i would give england about a 90 to 95 percent chance of getting out of this group i would give i guess if i had to put a number on it the u.s i, I would give them about a 65 percent chance of getting out of this group um with Wales probably coming in. Well, I don't know. What do you think? I was gonna say Wales coming or, in third, but Wales coming third. Yeah, I, I the, the the thing that um, it's a weird group. Well, first of all, like geopolitically, what a hilarious group. <laughs> like not in a good way, not necessarily in a good way, but oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it'll be interesting. Like we we've seen how England play. <laughs> Like that's not necessarily the gung ho team, and I uh, I think that I think it's possible the U.S. could play in a more attacking way. I also think what you saw against Morocco specifically was the first time that they played against a team that's just like plays a more European style. So one, they had more space. Like both teams had more space, but like the U.S. had more space because Morocco was actually coming at them. And not, and not just kicking the shit out of them as most Concacaf teams do. And outside of the U.S. side of it, like it, it Iran's probably going to sit pretty deep. Wales, we saw them do this against Ukraine. They're going to sit pretty deep. They'll probably do the same thing against England and the U.S. And neither England or the United States have shown in the last two to three years that they are good at breaking down uh, teams that play defensively against them. So. I if I had to pick today, I think England and the US go through, but I think it's I think it's gonna be kind of a grind for both of them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And also this is the same Iran team that in the 2014 World Cup were like what two minutes away from potentially going through. So yeah, it's I don't think anything's set in stone, but digress. Let's uh Let's move on, Rian, to some fun things that we could just speculate on purely for the sake that they are not real um, or they potentially could be real or potentially could not be real. That's the beauty of transfer updates. And, Rian, I want to start off, probably my favorite transfer saga right now going on is nothing to do with a specific player. 
It is all to do with whatever the hell is going to happen at PSG this summer. I have no idea. All I do know is that Pochettino is definitely leaving. And Luis, Luis Campos is coming in to be not exactly a sporting director, but a sporting manager of sorts, basically kind mm. of bringing in his own people, paying them himself. Uh, like weird, weird version of a director uh, if, I've, if I've ever seen it. So I want to get your thoughts on Pochettino likely leaving PSG. And I, I don't I don't know if there's an obvious replacement right now. Yeah, I mean, on the Pochettino thing, I, I feel like we could have called this five months ago. We could have called this probably as soon as the the whistle went um, in the Bernabeu a few months ago that this was this was going to be how this ends. Um, so that's not surprising. Luis Campos coming in, I think, as I said a, a few weeks ago. Yeah, that's a pretty serious move. Like that's actually like this first smart thing that they've done from like a management level in a long time. Um, and then I think I saw rumors of potentially the Nice coach who was the Lille coach um, last season, actually. So this past season, he was the coach at Nice, Christophe Gaultier. But the season before that, he was a coach at Lille who obviously won the league against PSG. That would be another smart one. A guy who has already, who's also with Nice, Nice became much better and Lille really dropped off last season as we saw. So that would feel like two pretty smart moves. And that would be like, Oh, okay. They've actually, they've stopped kind of bullshitting around <laughs> this, this shit that they've done for the last 10 years. Um, and they're trying to actually be serious about this now because uh, I guess that's just GM Killian Mbappe who's making these moves. <laughs> well, yeah, I think to be on that short list, basically, you need to uh, be a friend friend of his. Yeah, you, you have some relation to him. It's uh, Campos who brought him to Monaco and uh, Gaultier is just a coach that has been in France for the last x amount of years and has beaten him a few times in the last two years <laughs> so um but but i mean like, it's obviously tongue-in-cheek but like th these are actually good appointments i think if they happen and then and i don't think killian had that much to do with uh picking them out but he but he has final say if so it, it i would guess it, now it sounds he has final like, say yeah. on, on a lot of this stuff so yeah, yeah well good for him. I, I it sound it does sound as though Gautier, I guess I'll say, um, is first choice right now to to be uh, the BSG PSG's new manager. I just I get the sense that there is another twist in this, not just because of the Mbappe piece, but because I don't have faith in El Khalifi to do <laughs> much by the book, essentially. So, like, if I hear, oh, great, yeah, he might be our new manager, and his success at Lille is actually should 100% be praised. I just, I, I don't have faith in El Khalifi, like until I see it, like until like, here's my thing until I saw Mbappe was announced. Like I did not know what was happening with Mbappe. And beforehand when everyone was like, Oh my God, Oh, he's going, he's staying at PSG. And then it went to, Oh my God, he's actually going back to Real Madrid. Oh no, he's waiting. He's staying. Like, I, I don't know. I, I really, PSG always irk me. I don't really want to talk about them. I don't even know why I put them in our <laughs> Whatever. Can we move on? Can we just... Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. There's another transfer that I actually really do want to talk about, um, which I think is very interesting. Darwin Nunez to Liverpool. Of course... Reportedly, allegedly. Report, reportedly, allegedly, potentially done, as of today, actually, for up to 100 million euros for a player that almost embarrass them at Anfield in the Champions League. Scored, this a, scored a goal, scored a nice goal. Yeah. Scored a great goal. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he did. He did at some point embarrass Barcelona. I believe it was earlier this season um, at home at Benfica. He's part of the mm -hmm. reason why we didn't make it through the knockout <laughs> rounds. Um, I believe, I don't, I think you saw this tweet too, that described that step over that he did before scoring against Bar Barcelona <laughs> as a quote, agricultural, which was just, an outrageous analogy. Um, 
to use on Twitter, which is a, a cesspool in and of itself. But anyway, the reason I bring this up, Rian, is because that actually is a good segue to my thoughts on Darwin Nunez. I think he is a very, very strong finisher who does not have the strongest touch. And I think one of, for example, Diego Jota's strong suits is his first touch, whether it's with his back to goal or facing goal. I'm not sure what Liverpool see in Darwin Nunez that they really want to replicate. Maybe they view some of these softer skills as coachable and potentially changeable within a young player. But is there something like you see in Darwin Nunez that you would think could potentially be a good signing for them? Because let's let's assume yeah. like Mane is gone at this point. Which I think, yeah, we can assume yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can assume that's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, no, I think he's I I I'm gonna be honest, I haven't watched like a highlight video in in years like honestly i haven't watched like i haven't watched like a youtube like highlight video like i've seen i've watched like some compilation videos on twitter and stuff like whatever they come up this is usually like one or two minutes but i haven't watched like a seven to nine minute highlight video of a player in how who knows long and i did for nunez because i tried to look like his stats and like uh at least on fb ref which they pull their data from um from stats bomb and I don't think the Portuguese league is the Portuguese league is at least not one that they allow FB ref to use, but I just looked at, like was only able to really see his champions league and Europa league, like more advanced stats. And I have no clue. I'm going to be honest with you because the two seasons, at least Europa league versus um, champions league last season, extremely different playing styles. Like like one season, both both seasons he he outperformed his his xG, which is always like if you do that consistently. Although huge huge like sample size alert here, like these are talking about what like seven or eight games in the Champions League, and then like I think it was like six or not even six. I think it was six in the Europa League the season before. Super small sample sizes here, but at least in the Europa League season, his chance creation stats were much, much better than they were this past season in the Champions League. But also this season in the Champions League, he had more shots and he did score, I think, a couple more goals, but maybe not not anything crazy, but still. Also, that's going to show you he was a kind of different player, at least the season before, and show show that also like he wasn't bad at, creating chances for other players so that's why i ended up going to the youtube videos because i was like i can't tell i just cannot tell by looking at this stuff because they are he he might have played like more like a striker this season and the season before he played a bit more uh peripherally but it this is i'm gonna learn a lot about i i'm really excited to watch him play for liverpool if he ends up signing for them i'm really excited to watch him play in the premier league because between him and holland Two guys who are like I, I was. Just I have about no clue. Yep. I they these guys don't feel like it feels like there's not going to be a middle with the two of them. Let's just say. I mean, especially Nunez. I I think we have more of a track record on Holland right now, even though he's really really young. But we've seen it for three years now that that guy is that guy is in another world in terms of. I think he's the definition and, of a robot. Like yeah, he's in another world. Um, but we only really have one season of Nunez and. So I, these two guys are, are both, I'm really interested to see how they adapt to the Premier League because they both are guys who thrive in space and where I think Holland is going to have to really get better in tight spaces um, or get used to playing in a lot tighter, tighter spaces. I think that Nunez going to Liverpool, a team that plays really aggressively and I think a lot of his um, attacking strengths are are not too dissimilar to the Mane, honestly, and how direct of a player he is and and the runs that he makes, I think is similar. I think Mane probably has a better touch. That's kind of the only thing I can say right now. He could play better in tighter spaces, which um, happens a lot more for Liverpool than most other teams. But I, I, 
it's hard to tell this because like the, the other part of like the Nunez thing, looking at the Europa League season or especially the season before this one, is that I don't know. Maybe Benfica were just comparatively a much better team in Europe in the Europa League, so he got a lot more touches. He got to play with the ball a lot more, <laughs> and he looks and and he was better because he because he just had the ball a lot more. And maybe when they go into the Champions League, it's much different. They're not as good, so they have the ball less. So his stats on that stuff looks worse. I don't know. That that's where like that's there's where I, I think there's just a lot of question so marks. Like, it. Yeah, it's it's as as. <laughs> someone who's not a scout and not in Liverpool's recruitment team. And it's not probably watched hours and hours and hours of him play football. Like I, I can't tell, which is why I'm really excited to just watch him play in the Premier League. And that's, I hope, I hope that's what ends up happening. Yeah. I, I think I share, I'm really glad you brought up Holland because I share the same concern about Holland that I do with Darwin Nunez in that, they are both not very good in tight spaces. I think Erling Holland has actually been of the top strikers in Europe. One of, I believe he's in the top five for um, possession lost out of strikers in Europe. I, I don't quote me on that, but Darwin Nunez just strikes me based on the short period that I've seen him as a similar profile, not in that he is more skillful or less skillful, I do think that they both possess a lot of power behind the ball. They possess a lot of drive forward and very kind of this directness at, at, at teams that is very valuable, especially for someone like Pep. But if you can't have your first touch be clinical, like I think back to basically Lukaku three years ago, where he clearly had the talent to be a great goal scorer, but you needed to set yourself up to be in a strong position to even do that. Maybe that's just something they work on. I truly do not know, but that I, like you, I'm kind of just excited to, to be along for the ride, knowing that it doesn't at all affect me <laughs> as a fan. Yeah. And, and I, and look, it's going to be impossible on like a, um, on average level for people who will be watching next season, but I'm going to really try not to be, too critical of, of either of them in the first season, especially because you're still talking about guys who are, well, I think, I mean, Nunez will actually be a bit older. He's like two years older than, than Holland. I think he's going to turn 23 this summer, but especially for Holland, it's like one season, the first season, especially in the Premier League coming from Germany, we've seen it be a pretty tough uh, adaptation for players. So gonna try to be level-headed about it but look we know we know what the narrative is gonna be four months in if it's not if it's not clicking immediately which is insane well let's just briefly transition to two other pieces of transfer news i'll call it um real madrid are putting together what can only be described as the diaspora uh across <laughs> europe in in their midfield Kamavinga now Chumeni almost done, not 100%, but basically almost done um, going to, to Real Madrid. Um, he has had an absolutely outstanding season in Monaco. Yeah. Has probably been one of the young players of the year across Europe, especially in his, his defensive midfield role. Now that let's say Madrid have their replacement for Casemiro going forward, my question to you is, do you feel like Real Madrid all of a sudden have their midfield for the next 10 years? Yes, I think I mean, <laughs> but I, yeah, I think I was I think I was kind of saying this for the last couple of months. like they they have the players like in Camavinga and like different styles of players. We talked about that too, like different styles of players to Luka Modric and, and Tony Cruz and, and Casemiro. Um, but in Camavinga and Fede Valverde and Trumeni now coming in, like, yeah, they have at least two of those guys. I, I'm interested to see, interested to see if um, what help happens with the rest of their midfield or I guess like how they expect to, how the transition expects to happen next season. Um, if it happens, because look, 
we know that guys like Odegaard and, and Kovacic were both guys who thought that they were going to be taking over after Modric and Cruz and those guys just just refused to die. So that's how those guys, so, you know, Odegaard and Kovacic had to leave. But now it's like, I think you can pencil in at least two of those in Kamavinga and, um, and Chouameni and, and Valverde, that's an interesting three. I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of athleticism and it's very well, I guess different. A, there's a caveat that I'll add is that I don't think anyone is set or can tell that Valverde is going to be part of a midfield three or yeah. a forward yeah. three. That's yeah, or exactly. A midfield four. Like I think Kamavinga and Jumeni are a little more set in stone, whereas Valverde is that like floating right hand piece that no one yeah. can yet nailed down. He's kind of like, you know, my thoughts remind me of Milner. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know your thoughts. (laughs) Um, No, he does. He is kind of like a Swiss army knife of a player, a utility player of sorts. Right. I mean, yes. I mean, you saw that in the Champions League final. You saw it in the Champions League in general. So I I 100% agree. Um, At the same time, do I feel like Valverde could be still like a very useful part of all of this? Absolutely. Absolutely. But if you build around two players like Kamavinga and Chumeni, man, your African fan base is just going to skyrocket. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, at some point, at that point, I'm happy for Madrid. <laughs> yeah. But like, like those two guys together, so much energy. And like, and in theory, Fetty could just be the guy who does all the running for them. But, True. But we saw Kamavinga also be really energetic in the in every game that he came into and he and the pressing that he did really helped uh madrid in a lot of those champions league games um and then yeah i mean true many a guy who's shown really really good passing for someone at his age he's he said like 87 percent last season um but and plays like the six and man yeah I, I think he's gonna have a lot of fun i think those guys when they get playing together and look they're still all really really young like um i think kevin fingers maybe 20 uh true many's 21 right now like those if they have them for the next five to six years like yeah that's that's i i think that has the potential to be a fantastic midfield going forward we shall see only time will tell and with that Rihanna, let's move to the last Piece of transfer news uh, around, in some ways, both of our clubs. Um, <laughs> the potential exits of Usman Dembele and or Frankie de Jong from Barcelona is just sad and bizarre at the same time to me. Usman Dembele less so because I think this always was the likely outcome, no matter really how much people like wanted him to stay as a result of kind of his second half of the season performance. Now, the interesting thing to me with him is that he is potentially on his way to Chelsea, which I have some questions about, and I would love to ask you about the other piece that I just want to touch on is Frankie de Jong, who you mentioned really well, like basically talked about consistently after both games for the Netherlands, like, yeah, I'm playing in my preferred position in the national team as a deep line defensive midfielder. I think one of the biggest problems with Frankie de Jong for Barcelona is that he doesn't have that position at Barcelona. It's not like Busquets operates or is in that position. Like that position just doesn't exist in Barcelona. Like I think there is a deep lying playmaking role, which Busquets operates, but Frankie de Jong is... You, do you not think that that De Jong can play that position though? Like, I think he can, but that's not what he does for the D- Dutch national team. Like his whole point is like I take the ball, carry it into the midfield, and I progress the play forward. Okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. Busquets doesn't do that. Like he yeah. is very much surrounded by a cast that's doing all the running around him, and he is basically a central pivot point directing traffic. Like yeah, two two different profiles. So like those that that position just doesn't exist in Barcelona. You can change the structure and have that conversation. I'm not going to bore anybody with that, but like, that's why I think Frankie de Jong, along with the fact that Barcelona are heavily in debt, if you have not heard, <laughs> um, or have been living under a rock, those two I think are just really weird, sad coincidences that Frankie de Jong is potentially on the market. And I don't know where he's going to go or if he's going to go, but if he does, just know that it is purely not almost guaranteed not a purely sporting decision it in fact i would argue 90 percent of it's financial so 
that's the only thing I'll say about Frankie Young. But Rian Dembele, do you think he actually goes to Chelsea? What does he do at Chelsea? Why Chelsea? How Chelsea is Chelsea? <laughs> um, this is this guy is so. I, I, you just you just I, get a load of this guy. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It, it it's just two two things. Look, the only hesitation I, I'm going to say this: the only single hesitation I have about it is obviously the injury history, and that's and that's a pretty big hesitation. That's a pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a only if, right? Even if it's the only if. Um, that's still a pretty big if, right? Yeah. So I think uh, I think in terms of his fit into the team, I I can understand. One, the thing that like Chelsea misses that is none of the th- three almost at any point are great at uh, I think creating chances for each other. Um, I. I I weirdly enough think that Timo is probably the best in it because he creates chances by stretching the the defense, and he usually will make the that final the like cross across across the box or the the kind of like easy layoff or something. He'll do that a lot, but there's no one that's doing that consistently from the front three at least. Like a lot of the chance creation yeah. comes from our from the wing backs as we see. But I, I think Dembele would give them someone that carries the ball forward but also as we saw especially in the second half of the season here he kind of looks for the pass more than the shot at the end right um and 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 we also saw like he played some really good final balls for uh for barcelona and it would be him potentially going back to the coach that arguably he's probably played the best under in his career um and the only weird thing there is that Funny enough, I think that if you look at the strikers that he's played with, uh, Dembele, he's played with where he's had the most success. And just, I mean, it's, it really is just Aubameyang, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> now that I think about it. Um, but, you know, the, the players that Chelsea have that are closest to Aubameyang and listen playing style and, and whatnot would probably be Werner and Romelu Lukaku, who's who's probably leaving it sounds like it sounds like uh one he wants to go back and it sounds like two chelsea are willing to just make that happen and just forget this and and forget that this all happened which i wasn't sure would be the would be the actual outcome of of this summer but um it it would just be i'll put it this way hilarious if lukaku and or Werner both leave and those were actually the guys that probably would have played the best with Usman Dembele, considering the success that he's had with players previous with his teammates previously, previously strikers previously. So that's that's what I've got to say about it. I, I think I think it would be great if Dembele came. I think I think I think that he is a different type of player than the ones that Chelsea have had in attack in the last two years. I think he'd be useful. Injury scaring the hell out of me. And I feel like we're about to send away a guy that probably would really benefit from playing with him, but <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> you have a really good point. Um, I'd be very curious to see if Chelsea do bring in a different striker or what happens. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if seen they the, do. Seen the Gabriel Jesus rumors. The Gabriel Jesus, yeah. Yeah. That, that could be a possibility, but like, I, I don't, I don't know if that's realistically going to happen. You know, I do think that I think Usman Dembele could actually thrive, uh, obviously bar his injuries or whatever happens there. I think he could really thrive on either side with Chelsea and, and Thomas Zuckel certainly knows how to work with him there, but just thinking about Chelsea's structure, imagine the upgrade that you're getting on Hakim Ziyech. Like just think about that side of the field I think any right or left back, regardless of whatever side he plays on, is legitimately not going to know how to defend him. Like we saw that all throughout the second half of the season. No one really knew how to defend him. And bringing that to a Chelsea team that is pretty lethal when it comes to 
their wing back play. I'm very, I'm genuinely very excited by the prospect yeah, of seeing yeah. him on on either flank. With, well, who knows what happens with with uh, Mark Salonzo or Espilicueta, but um, <laughs> at the very least, let's say Reese James, Reese James, <laughs> and 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 hopefully a healthy Ben Chilwell too, right? But um, true, yeah, yeah. Look, the, the thought of it, he's a much different type of player than Ziyech. I think Chelsea pretty pretty desperately have needed players who are willing to like take guys on and and like dribble um dribble at defenders and Dimpelli would be one of the few players on the team that you would think is is good at that so yeah 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 we'll see we'll see I, I think there's good potential for it happening but the injuries are just bad you can't not think about that you can't write them off <laughs> when this is happening yeah. I'll give you one I'll leave you with this final thought he did not get injured in the second half of the season with a proper nutritionist, proper, I guess, muscular routine, let's call it physical routine that he had not previously had under prior coaches. Um, and yeah, he, he did not get injured or seriously injured. So potential, potential silver lining and all of that. But I think that's all the transfer news that I want to cover. Is there any others that you want to go over? No. Vent about? no, no, I think that's, I think that's it. Um, I think that's it for us. Uh, probably be back in a, there's not much going on in the next couple of weeks outside, like you said, those Nations League games. So, so maybe we probably take a couple of weeks off and hopefully come back and do some team of the season stuff and, and then start talking about the uh, women's zeros in, in July. Yeah. That's the one tournament where we left off because while it does start soon, we kind of wanted to give it a little bit more of its own time. So with that, Oh, should we shout out Sam Kerr for winning Women's Player of the Year? In, yeah, uh, in in England. Yeah, she did, and then and also happened. I think right before we started recording, uh, Mosala won the P- the Players Association uh, Player of the Year as well. So he did very well. Shout out, shout out to both of them. Oh yeah, 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 for both absolutely. So with that, we'll finally wrap things up. We'll talk to you guys next week. What will we be talking about? The women's Euros, other transfer news, probably Rian bitching about the U.S. men's national team. All of that. All that will be included. <laughs> yeah. So, a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. A couple of weeks, whenever it might yeah. be. So we will talk to you guys soon. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Thanks, guys.